0: Hello and welcome to The Game Pit. This is episode 176 and we're back to reviewing some games that we've been playing, Ronan.
1: It's a picking over the bone, Sean. We named it. Let's use the name. (laughs) We are cracking in. We've got eight reviews. Sean, I want three words on your general feelings about these games without giving anything away. Go.
0: Generally positive, but. Oh.
1: I'm going to go. Not as positive.
0: <laughs> I had no doubt at all.
1: <laughs> You're trying to give me a reputation to be an invisible git about games, and I, I am good. Yeah. Speaking of which, Brian Baru, <laughs> <laughs> Brian Baru, the High King of Ireland, is a three to five player game. This to play time ninety minutes from Pierce Sylvester, a veteran designer, and coming out from Osprey Games. There are. Seven games with the word Brian in them on Board Game Geek, Sean.
0: There are. Okay, fair enough. There are.
1: I was pretty sure when I put in search, I'd type Brian and it would be like, that's the only one that's going to come up.
0: Uh, but, yeah, okay.
1: Particularly wanted to draw your attention to is one for you to look up 1987's Brian Clough's Football Fortunes.
0: Brian Clough that takes me back to our to our PC games extravaganza. Or Amiga. <laughs> was wasn't even PC. yeah, it wasn't even Amiga's, but Oh well pre-Amiga. pre Amiga. Spectrum. Spectrum, that'll be the one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right, you've got a job. You've got to find me Brian Clough's football fortunes. I'm not interested in anything I'm else. On it.
0: You, you know what your birthday present is now, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Brian Clough. Well no, it can't be. <laughs> no. Nigel no. Clough. He played for Liverpool, that'll do. Okay. Brian Brew. Hi, King of Ireland. It is a game in which you be going to be doing area majorities on an uh, alleged medieval map of Ireland. I mean, they've got the outline of the coast right, and they've got the east coast right, but other than that, I've, I've beaked about that enough. That's not where the towns were. In it, at the beginning of each round, and there are very few rounds in the game, it is player-dependent how many rounds there are, but you're going to draft from a deck of cards. And there are three suits and some wild cards, and the cards are numbered one to twenty-five, and they're they're littered without. There's only one twenty-two, for example. There's only one number eighteen, but they're off the three different colors. Someone is going to pick the town. It's the first player, whoever won the town last time, or if you win in a particular suit, and you're going to choose a color of that town, and you have to play either the color of that town. Or a wild card from your hand. And then the other players are going to follow. Now, unlike a lot of trick-taking games, they don't have to follow suit. However... Only cards in that suit that match the colour of the town or wilds can win and win the town and put down their disc and claim and be valid for some majority scoring in that area. That's one of the ways in which you're going to score points. However, if you're not the only player who wins the town, you're going to get to do the secondary function of whatever card you've played. And those functions are in three different ways. Now, there's money in the game. Depending on what card you've used to win the town, you may get money or you may pay money and the secondary function on all cards allows you to get some amount of money in. So that is a sort of an overlaying financial aspect, very small one that's going on throughout the game. It's always handy to have money and you can also spend money on your turn to expand out of towns you already have as long as you're going along the very fractured road system that is on the map the three other functions you can do when you lose a hand is you can get points in marriage whoever's got the most points in marriage at the end of each round of draft is taking tricks and that is, like i say is only like three four five cards you're actually going to play each turn but whoever's got the most points in marriage is going to get a card which is turned over at the beginning of each round and it tells you what benefit you're going to get and you're going to get a town or you're going to get some points it, they vary there's a few off them that's the yellow suit. The next suit is the red suit. Those are Vikings. There's a certain amount of Vikings are going to attack Ireland this turn. And whatever card you've lost and you've played a red card, it tells you how many Vikings you can take. At the end of each round, if we've got rid of all the Vikings, then no one gets punished. If we haven't, the Vikings will take over one town from the player who has beaten the least Vikings in this turn. And then you're going to get benefits for having the most Vikings beaten. Or for having the most after the person who had the most had to discard all of theirs, which is the same thing that happens in marriage and is the same thing that happens with religion. So with religion, you're getting sort of religious points and the one who's got the most religious points at the end of the round is going to get to put a monastery around one of their towns, which makes it twice as powerful for area scoring. Then they lose all their power. Then whoever second is going to get a point and lose one of their power. So you can build up in marriage and Vikings and religion. But if you're the most, it's going to disappear. You have to start again. And if you're second most, you get something. But you're going to have to build towards winning to get the big bonus. The end of each round, we check all of the areas off the board because so Ireland is split into like the southern O'Neills, the northern O'Neills, Connacht, Glenster, Munster, and each area has got a certain amount of towns that must be present in order for that area to be triggered in order to be valid for scoring. And then whoever's got the majority of towns in there, given that monasteries double up your power, is going to claim that tile although it can be taken off them. And at the end of the game, if you have that tile, it's going to be worth points. Now, Sean. I'm going to start with that area of majority when it comes to sort of thinking about this game and how it all pulls together. And I've had trouble coalescing my thoughts on Brian
0: Baru. Yeah, you, you certainly did seem that way when, when we spoke about it. I haven't played, as you know, yet. And I've been looking at some comments, Ronan. And with regards to the area majority, is is that the be-all and end-all? Because what a lot of people are saying is there's there's too many consolation prizes and it's, it's too balanced. Or sort of the negative comments are it's too balanced and there's too many consolation prizes so it kind of gets stale quickly. Is that what you felt?
1: I think it depends how you're feeling about the game because when you look at it, it's about the board, it's about the towns and you're thinking, right, this is going to be, I need to claim majorities. So surely the person with the most towns and the most area majority points must be the winner. But that's not true. People I've played with have won the game while having the fewest number of towns on the board, which feels counterintuitive. It's a very Pierre Sylvester thing to do. Make makes you think you're playing one game, but actually there's other ways in which you can win and it's quite obscure how you're going to win. And in each game, the relative merit of each action is only shaped by what the other players are doing so if I can grab a couple of provinces and get them really cheaply and score lots of points for them, that's great. If I get into a bit of a fight over a province, because there's so few hands in the game, if I've invested into it, it then becomes really, really swingy, whether I can take that or not. I find Pier Sylvester games hard to judge because of this. They always leave me feeling like I'm being a bit thick and not getting what he wants me to get.
0: Yeah, that's probably true enough. <laughs> um the trick-taking side of it, Ronan, how, how important is that? Is it is it really dull? Is it just there to facilitate things? Or was it like an integral part of the game that's quite interesting?
1: Well, trick-taking is what you're doing. It is the whole action of the game. So that draft leading is the trick-taking. That's where you feel like you have agency. But it's this inability, to me, players I've played with, to judge what's important. And what's going to be important that puts a barrier between me and the game. In order to sort of plan to take particular towns, you first have to take control. So you're going to have to win a trick that's been started by someone else in the colour you have no control over. Now let's say in a four player game, there's only four tricks per round. There's only 16 tricks in the whole game. I have to win one to get control to then hope to win another one just to get the town that I'm after. And with so few cards in hand, it feels very difficult to put direction on what you're doing. It does feel a lot like something that you mentioned, that you're just sort of taking the consolation prize, trying not to be last in Vikings and sort of seeing what will fall your way. Now, you have more agency than that, but I'm frustrated by what
0: I can do and the choices that I have. So Unless you're pulling a uh, shut up and sit down on me, Ronan. <laughs> I think well, you're starting to lean in a certain direction as to what your sort of final thoughts are. So I'm just going to fire one more comment at you and then we'll see what you do actually think of the game. Plays quick, but feels longer and meatier.
1: It does play relatively quick, but it depends what your expectations are. I, I'm going to kind of put another game into thinking here, a Pills of Esther game, that I think this he's built on the ideas from King is Dead or König von Siam which has these three colours and the majority score in it is a complete mind bender but it's much quicker and simpler than this game and the idea of losing, you sort of deliberately lose sometimes in that in order to waste other people's cubes, I think that this contains a lot of similar themes and of almost a narrative to it that's the same as The King is Dead but is longer and is more obscure and I'm not sure it gives me any more back than that game does so as much as it says it plays quickly and you'll be thinking a lot i have been thinking a lot i've been thinking what's going on um, and <laughs> what am i supposed to be doing here and you think oh, i'll play this once okay that was really interesting and that was the, the word that i used after my first play that's really interesting i really want to play that again so i can get my head around it and i've played it several times and i still want to get my head around it but each play is becoming subsequently less interesting because i there is a pattern there but i still don't have enough agency i'm still riding the wave a bit i'm still taking the consolation prizes more often than not and then seeing where they take me and if i've been unlucky to plan my consolation prizes and i'm one behind someone else because they've they've drafted and they've gone i'm taking the same consolation prizes but i've done it slightly better because i've got slightly better cards than you then really i've almost wasted a quarter of the game and it can feel very difficult, and it feels like I'm a rubber duck that's been swept off a container ship into the waves rather than a soaring dolphin.
0: I've, I've always thought of you as a soaring dolphin. Yeah.
1: You never have once in your life, but now you do. <laughs> Brian Peru. Firstly, fantastic. Thank you for choosing the theme. Secondly, sort out your map. Thirdly, ultimately... I hoped for a lot. After one, two, three plays, I was excited. My excitement has faded. I was hoping I was going to get more out of the game. I didn't. It's ended up being unsatisfying. I'm often just waiting for things to drop where I want them to be. I'm waiting for someone to choose the color of town that I want. And then you like, wait for someone to happen, happenstance, choose the actual town that I want to claim. Because I have so little control as to what's actually going to be up for grabs here. And then, like, what, do I jump in a province where I'm just not going to win? Because the provinces only trigger after a certain number of towns have been taken. All I'm doing, in effect, is sometimes just allowing someone else to score a province by being the one token other town in there. I'm just not having fun. It's too few actions, too few decisions, and I kind of feel like I'm watching the game happen for too much of Brian Burrow. So my rating at the end of the day is going to be a 58.
0: Yeah, it's better than I thought it would be. But just really quickly at the end, are you getting any better at the game? Are you finding that you are improving your score or improving sort of how you play against people who have not played it before?
1: Yeah, I have improved my scoring. I don't think I've won yet, but myself and Rachel were in a point of each other in our last game and we were ahead of the other players. But I don't. it's not satisfying. I don't feel like, oh yeah, I've got better, I've been smarter, I've done really well there. I just feel like almost I've, I've learned to game the game. And it, it hasn't given me any pleasure in that.
0: Cool, right. Moving on to my first game, which I'm sure we're going to have an argument about, is Golem from Cranio Creations.
1: You are absolutely no good at not giving
0: spoilers. (laughs) I'm an anti-spoiler. No, I am the spoiler, sorry, I'm not an anti-spoiler at all. Uh, Flaminia, Brassini, Virginio, Gigli and Simone Luciani, and they're the names that have brought us games like Grand Austria Hotel, Lorenzo, El Magnifico, Zolkin and Alma Mater. This game is based on the Golem of Prague legend or tale where a rabbi created a golem to protect a town that was being wronged by the government or the local government. What you're doing in general is building golems to protect the streets of Prague. And you're going to do this over four rounds. And your actions are generated by marbles that are dropped into a tower. And it's very in a very grand Austria hotel style. The the colour of the marble is going to affect certain other game conditions but the amount of marbles in the row that you take your marble from that's going to generate the power of your action so if you take a marble from a four stack then you're going to have a four powered move for that and what can you do as part of those actions well you can work your golems so once you've built your golems you can work them and they're on the on the streets of prague and they can lie down and do certain actions for you. You can build those golems that we talked about. and they, they go on, as I said, onto the streets themselves. You can get coins and gold. You can get knowledge and spells. And at last, again, like Grand Hotel, you there's a section that you can mirror any of the other actions so that you can never really be ruled out if something just doesn't fall in the right space for you. There was also a rabbi action that's going to give you more of the same types of things, but there's going to be slightly slightly improved. And this is all garnered towards scoring in three separate areas. You've got your knowledge area, which you're trying to drive the books up, and you're getting cards into your tableau that are going to chain off each other, and they are books themselves. You are trying to turn over blue tiles on your player board it's really hard to describe this because and i'm sure we're going to touch on this later because it's a very very difficult thing to understand but you're turning blue tiles and there's menorahs on each of these tiles on your board and the scoring at the end is largely going to be how many of the menorahs you've turned over and in the knowledge track it's how many columns of books to how many menorahs you've turned over and there's another section of your player board in where you can score points at the end. And it's all generated by how many golems you've managed to build during the game. And you can also up the power of those golems and give them little powers as you go along. And again, every time you turn over, and it's it's depicted as a, a big golem, so you turn you turn over the left arm and it's got a manara on it, and it gives you a power for the game. So it's how many of those you've turned over times the amount of golems you've got out into play. Lastly, you've got a gold area. And you're gonna. To... I can't wait
1: for you to explain this.
0: Ah, oh, this is. This <laughs> I left it for laugh for a reason, Roland.
1: Yeah, I mean, I tell you what, mate. There's some gold stuff. You flip it, it does stuff.
0: There you go. It's all. It's supposed to be artifacts. <laughs> you pay a certain amount of gold onto an artifact to. I don't know to get a reward. But then you can power up the artifact. Oh, it's, it's, it's all very confusing. And as I said, we will be touching on that. There are some other little bits. There's an end of game bonus that's linked to the color of the marble. If you get the right uh, combination of two marbles on your board, then you get to do a bonus action. And that's as good as I can get it, Ronan. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a very cluttered and jumbled assessment, but it's a very hard game to grok, especially on your first go. It
1: just it's so extra it's so there's so many endless little things that are so hard to remember because they're there because they're there and the theme does not assist with at least 50% of the mechanisms because the mech is just a jumble they've been thrown together and stuck together with some flour and water and whether they hold together for you, they certainly started crumbling apart for me.
0: <laughs> it's the decisions that which path do you go down? That's the bit that, that really hamstrung me. I don't know what's the most powerful way to go. I don't know what road to go down. Do I do a little bit of everything? Do I do a little bit of this or a little bit of that? That was the main thing for me. Now, I think you brought up uh, while we were playing this that you felt that there was, there was so much admin going around that you were just forgetting to do things. And I didn't really get... We, we had a discussion at the time. I don't get that. I, I think the process of each move is quite straightforward. It's just what you're going to get out of it at the end of the game that isn't straightforward.
1: My problem with it, and my problem with remembering how it all worked, was I think because the decisions I'm making in Golem are decisions on the process that I'm going through not the result that I want. So I'm not making a decision where I want to go. I'm not even making a decision about how I want to go there. I'm making a decision about what I'm going to do to get the route to go where I know I want to go. And I know I can get there. It's just that I've got to jump over 10 mini hurdles every time I want to walk one step. And instead of taking strides and getting to where I want to be and moving on and progressing, I'm taking pigeon steps. And it's all because the mechanisms do not blend together in any way. That marble thing has got no reason to be the way it is. It's not linked at all. Now, I know you can say that in Grand Austria Hotel, the marble thing is not linked in, but it's not a soup of 30 mechanisms in Grand Austria Hotel. It's a soup of half a dozen or so. In Golem, is just a flood of this works differently to this, works differently to that, watch that for this, watch this for that. The major sort of thing that I really hung up on was that decision of choosing marbles. So you choose a colour of marbles because you want to move your student, because your student has to stay ahead of your golems, otherwise you can have to kill your golems, which isn't necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, it depends on how you do it okay, oh, by the way, also, there's a blend of them that if you happen to choose two, you're going to get an extra thing at the end. Now, the whole game is about triggering extra things. So getting extra things above doing your basic decisions is how you're going to win the game. But that is so annoying to just, oh, I've got to take a yellow and a red or I don't get that.
0: Why? Everything you've just said is why I love the game. So I think we're coming at this from completely different standpoints. I love the fact that the, you've got to think ahead and you've got to think, right, okay, that's going to affect my end of game bonus, but it's also going to affect the student. And what, what do I really want to go for in this in this round? So do I take the black marble that allows me to move two students? Do I take the white marble that's a wild card in terms of that end of game bonus? Every decision I feels meaty for me and I love it and I, I love trying to put it all together in my head. Yeah, it can be a challenge and yeah, it can be a a proper brain burner. But I just, I love the challenge of it. Altogether,
1: I can understand them being meaty, but they are a variety of microtransactions. And to me, it's just a constant small decision, small decision, small decision, small decision. And I understand that you like it. And I understand that some people like it. It's a, a variety of euro that Rachel enjoys very much. So I try and be sort of more objective when I'm, giving it an actual score and reviewing it because subjectively these micro transaction games are just not games that I enjoy. I don't have yeah. enough freedom to think and try different things. We're all going down the same path. We're all heading to the same place. We're all going to flip most of our upgrades. And it's just at the end of the day, it's thinking about how we're going to get there, but I know we're going to get there. Yeah. So therefore the journey isn't interesting to me.
0: As we discussed as well, Natalie, again, again, dislikes it so uh, i know that this is probably a marmite game i think we played with matthew and he was uh, i'm not sure about that at all so i I know it's not for everybody but i think myself and rachel we do tend to like those types of not not mathematical puzzles but those little things where your little increments right you do do that to do that and i do that to do that and i can think three three or four steps ahead you don't feel like maybe you're doing anything massively important in each of your moves but I suppose the end is greater than the sum of the parts sort of thing
1: I'm going to say a couple of things that aren't necessarily you know linked to that because we're just coming at it two different ways yeah. there's no point in this sort of batting that ball backwards and forwards it's very solitaire
0: yes it is yeah that's yeah. Oh, okay. I, no, 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 I was just—I was thinking up. about that one. Yeah, I, I hit a
1: different ball into the court. I was hoping it <laughs> to come
0: back that time. No, it is and I was just trying to think if there is any real interaction, and I don't really think that there is. You're not really taking anything from anybody. Your your golems don't interact with anybody else's golems on the board, so I think it probably is massively solitaire. Yeah, you're right, but I like it for that. I suppose me and Rachel are the, the turtlers when it comes to like war games, we're the ones that turtle in the corner and like to do our own thing and not be messed with. So I think that probably feeds into it as well.
1: Agreed. <laughs> I'm going to throw one more thing at you. I didn't like the graphic design, the way it was all made together. didn't help the flow of my eyes. Also leading into the fact that the red area of the city is green. <laughs> that a lot of the colors are very similar to each other that the iconography isn't that intuitive in places that certain symbols mean something but they they can mean something else and on top of that the rule book wasn't fantastic it wasn't terrible but it wasn't fantastic it wasn't pleasing it wasn't a pleasing physical game for me to play
0: i think it was pleasing to my eye as a a piece of art I agree that there was. It took me a while to work out that that was the actual red track, and I was wondering where the green track was. And the certainly your player board, the yellow section and golden and artifact section of your player board was just a mess. And a little touch on the rule book. I, I, I'm not going as easy as you are, even, and you didn't like it. I thought it was a appalling rule book. Rule book. When we had that one section where I had to tell you what a token on your board did, because you had no, you had no idea. And we looked for it for about ten minutes each of us, and we could not find it mentioned in the rule book. So, the rule book was not great. I learned this from watching videos online.
1: Oh, there's a you watching videos online joke there. The <laughs>
0: I'm just gonna sum up. Go
1: for it. I don't know how comparatively positive I've sounded there between Brian Brew and Golem. Brian Brew, I started was interested, has faded, faded, faded. Golem is a game that is. It's not a bad game it does what it does I think well but because I'm not a fan of that type of game I could definitely say that and if you said to me would you want a game of goal I'd be like yeah but I know that I would find it slightly tedious if you said to me do you want a game of Brian Baru I'd be like yeah but I find it slightly unsatisfying and I was kind of batting backwards and forth so I decided I'd score a 58 for Brian Baru and I'm like actually they're they occupy quite similar spaces in my mind of potential that I doesn't realize for me but actually Golem ends up with a 60 on the fact that I mean it's a game that works and you're chaining and there's things to do and your brain's working so it does what it sets out to do so it's a 60 I don't hate it
0: well I'm I'm, I'm happy with that I'll take that 60 so for me I I really like Golem I think I've made that clear Lots of choices, lots of little chains. Can be overwhelming, can be difficult to learn. But I think once you get there, it feels crunchy and it feels rewarding. And I absolutely love these types of games. So for me, it's an 80.
1: Whoa, I am surprised it's that high. I would also challenge you whether that be high in a year's time. It's one of the standard things I do to you. Because our repeated plays, I feel like you're going to be knocking on the same door. Right. I'm going to bring us forward with a game called Framework for one to four players, thirty minutes long, from Alway Rosenberg and Pegasus Spieler. In Framework, you lay out a number of tiles equals a number of players plus one, depending on how many players are playing, obviously. On those frameworks, they're going to, tiles rather. There's going to be frames between one to three, or possibly none, because it'll only have goals on there, or maybe it will have a mixture of both. And the frames and the goals are both in these different colours that relate to this, basically like brick frames and wood frames and green material frames, golden frames, whatever, silver frames. So there's these colours of frames and these goals that say, I want this tile with the goal on to be linked to that number of that particular type of frame. Or maybe two types of frames can be used, or maybe it's one or the other type of frame. And you draft him from them. The first player takes the first tile, then the other players take one each, and then the first player gets the last tile left hence n plus one tiles and then the first player moves on to the next player and they draw again and you take them in and as soon as you have got a goal which says for example six gold frames if you can chain and link six gold frames in an unbroken link back to that goal you put one of your 22 dobbers on it the first person to get rid of their 22 dobbers or few if you're playing with a quick version is going to be the winner sean it's an Uwe rosenberg puzzle tile laying game that is clearly got some linked patchwork in it which is why i bought it when i took us in here to review it i knew it was gonna be a quick review but lo and behold i looked framework a re-implementation of nova luna yes which is a re-implementation wait for it of sorts of habitats and i'm like oh, what's going on here i got into a bit <laughs> of a rabbit hole <laughs> have you seen why they've changed the name to framework and pegasus they have published it
0: no, I haven't. I knew about the Nova Luna bit. I was going to ask you, have you ever played Nova Luna? But uh, other than that, I don't know.
1: I bought Nova Luna. It's downstairs in Shrink. Apparently, I now have two copies of the same game <laughs> with two different names.
0: <laughs> well done.
1: Because <laughs> Framework was an impulse one. It was like a Uwe Rosenberg tile puzzle. Great, I'll get it. Um, I But I think, now no one's said this, so don't sue me. I think it's an opinion. This is an opinion piece. Cornet Van Mussel is the original designer of Habitats. Nova Luna was a co-design of between himself and Uwe Rosenberg and Cornebert Morsel has been and continues to put anti-masking and some slightly controversial opinions about the pandemic out there and I've got a An inkling here, in my opinion, is they just redone it with Uwe's name on so they can kick his name off it and continue to sort of, like, use the line. Because Nova Luna was selling, so why would you reimplement it? I don't understand. It's a popular game. Now I kind of understand why they did it and renamed it.
0: Well done, Pegasus I suppose.
1: You just don't want to comment on that, do you?
0: Yeah, (laughs) but I don't know. you trying to leave that alone. Yeah, but I suppose... Yeah, each to their own, but I can see the business reason behind doing something like that for sure.
1: Okay, framework itself, Sean.
0: Anything you ask me about, Uh, I I think generally you you should just some frames around. Generally, you should just kick into it, mate. But I have to say that box cover might be the most boring thing I've ever seen, and that's why I had no idea what you were talking about because I must have literally passed out when I when I saw the box.
1: No, I can understand that. Yeah, so I, I fell asleep three times just trying to reach for it. <laughs> the game, like, oh, God, it's got an effect. You know why I got it? Because we love patchwork. And I was like, oh, up to four players. This could be fun. And let's go with it's got incredibly little downtime and plays very, very quickly. You're looking at the tiles. You're going, oh, I'd like that one or that one. Someone takes one of them. And you're going, oh, I want that one. I want that one. Don't take it. Don't, I didn't take it. Yeah, I got it. And it's quite fine, And then more tiles are coming out. And it has that constant hit of, here's new tiles, here's make the puzzle. Here's a new tile, make a puzzle. That works.
0: So would you say, we, we say it all the time, would you say that this is a down the pub game? Does it take up too much space for that? Or is it something you could do there?
1: You do need a bit of space to play it because you're building out not as much as you think though. So yeah, a decent table down the pub. You'd want some decent lighting because some of the frames are quite mm, similar to each other what i will say though with regards to buying it for more than two players and patchwork is that more players doesn't really slow it down very much and in fact you're more efficient because with more players you have more choice and more turns. when there's only two of you there's only three tiles so i get a choice you get a choice of two then i get the last one and you're much more fighting what the game gives you rather than when you play with four you can be more well, I don't know, you can feel more powerful i guess that's not a great um
0: Yeah,
1: you don't feel very powerful in framework. Carry on.
0: (laughs) How long does it actually take? What would you say you've got it down to? Oh,
1: two-player game, 10 or 15 minutes. Okay. so Absolutely smashes through. So you could crack
0: this out like three or four of them, maybe.
1: For sure. For sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the issue with cracking out three or four of them with a game like this that's so quick is, is it going to have any longevity? Because it doesn't change up. And that was my concern. From the first play, I went, wow, that was a fun puzzle. We played it again straight away. The second time we played it, we played it we played it again straight away. We carried on playing it. And longevity was what I was worried about. I'll say that several plays in, I'm still enjoying it. The only concern that's come out of it is that when you do have more players, turn order can be decisive. Because as soon as you get that marker down, you've won. So it can just be decided the fact that that person went before
0: you in the last round. Yeah, but with a 10, 15-minute game, that's not not a deal-breaker, though.
1: Uh, probably 30 minutes with four players. But, uh, cool. I said it doesn't increase the time. It gives it a little bit. Oh. Okay, it's framework. You throw it down. You think as you play a bit more, you might start thinking about hate drafting for your opponent, but not really, because you're just desperate for what you want. And you know, and you soon discover that every single tile, as well as being a thing that is creative, is also a blocker. And you cannot afford to take bad tiles and you also cannot afford to put tiles in a bad position because suddenly you're like, oh, I have no longer got access to my six greens that I've created that I was able to throw goals next to. I've blocked it off and I'm an idiot and that's put me behind. And, does shift around and you are constantly fighting between getting frames together and getting goals near them and blocking getting goals near them so after several plays I'm enjoying framework a lot I don't know how close it is to Nova Luna but I'll let you know shortly and I've given it a
0: 78 Ah, see I, I knew you were around the 80 mark because I saw your score when I was looking for comments on this
1: that's cheating <laughs> so there you go
0: Okay, lovely. Now I'm going to move on to a slightly deeper, thinkier game, and it's Stroganov from Game Brewer, designed by Andreas Stedding. He did um, Hansa, Teutonica, and Gugon. And it's all about Russia expanding, not the most popular topic in the world at the moment, so bad timing there. But this is in the 16th century, and they're expanding into Siberia. And what do we do? We are spending four years, and they are split into seasons. With winter being like a small scoring and a reset. You have two to three actions, because you can pay for a third action, where you're going to be doing various things, including gathering furs. So gathering furs is is really the meat of, the, of this game. It's the meat on the bones of this game, because you're going to be handing in furs to do various things. You are gathering horses, and the horses are going to improve your movement. Why do I mention movement? Because you're going to be moving physically eastwards. And the further eastwards you go, the, the more things that you unlock, the more furs that you can trap, the more bonuses that you can unlock for yourself. And generally, it's considered the, a, a good thing to do to be the furthest east. It'll get you small little boons as the game goes on. Another resource in this game is gold, and gold is going to make fur more flexible and allow you to do some, uh, some other small items. Another thing that you can do in this is gather songs about your, your heroic deeds as you forge eastwards onto, into the inhospitable lands of Siberia. And people will sing songs about you, and at the end of the round, if you've got the most songs about, song about you, then you get a reward. There is also a market that you can go to and that is to swap and buy furs. All boils down to how many furs that you've got. There are cards that you can get that are scoring cards for the end of the game. You can collect those. You start off with one, you can collect them as you go forward. There are yurts, which are little collections of tents that uh, you can get, take off the board and get a bonus from those. And they don't replenish until the winter. There are towns. That you can visit and they're going to give you a bonus but they stay on the board and you can actually claim the landscape tiles that you're actually taking the furs from by paying in furs and emptying them all furs etc and they're going to give you a bonus at the time and a collection bonus at the end of the game that's pretty much it ronan have you got any thoughts have you heard anything about strong enough
1: andreas Did yes Hansa Teutonica, Stauffer Dynasty, yep. Nuremberg, all medium weight Euros that I've tried. I went, that's a good game, but damn, it was
0: dry. <laughs> you didn't like Gugong, though. That was him as well. Oh, man, take the words out. My ah, goodness, man. There you go.
1: Gu- Gu Gong is just a nah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nah. I like Gugong, but nobody nah. else did.
1: <laughs> nah, shocking. <him. laughs> so. They're games that I admire, but I don't buy an Andrea Stelling game or out of the blocks. Are you going to attempt to persuade me otherwise?
0: I'm going to attempt to, because in this game, (laughs) to start off, one of the things that we noticed was that there are lots of very different paths to, to victory. Now, the flip side of that is that it does feel quite balanced. In all of my games of this, there's not been a lot in the score. In fact, the first score went down literally to the tiebreaker who was further east. And it's not been too different since then. But I can live with that because I do like the different scoring. So you can really concentrate on furs and really hoover up all those landscape tiles by paying in the furs. You can forge east and get all the rewards as you forge east you can pick up the end of game scoring tiles you can concentrate on songs and trying to get your your legend out into the into the, the the Russian world all of those are very they're all viable ways to go
1: okay but if they're too balanced or are you having to make clever decisions in order to forge down those paths or are they just things that you do and everything's going to score you points
0: i think you have to decide where you're going so let, just for an example and my first game I decided I was going to be all about the songs and all about the end of game scoring and Nat decided that she was going to go for the furs and try and get those landscape tiles because they were they do score heavily in the game and they score a set collection bonus at the end and what she did very cleverly was she let me forge east and take the furs off the lands which makes them easier to to then take yourself because if there's any furs on there you have to pay an extra fur for every fur still remaining, or for every animal still remaining on the board. So she was letting me empty them, which was great for me because it helped me do what I wanted to do, but then she was just hoovering them up one by one, and that was the one where she ended up by winning on the tie-break, happened to be moving further east on the last round because I cottoned on to what she was doing, and I said, well, I'm not going east, and that's what cost me to go.
1: Probably should have read that rule. Right should have read that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. When you're doing this, when you've chosen your path and you start doing what you're doing, one of the comments that came up a couple of times was people weren't feeling like they were building an engine or they were progressing, that they were able to set things up and build on them round after round. It felt like you were restarting. Any thoughts on that? That's
0: exactly what you're doing. In the winter, as I said, it's the sort of clean up and the small scoring. You effectively go back to your start point. So you're back at the the beginning. And because the, the furs don't replenish... In that ends. I found it very thematic because you, obviously you're hoovering up and you're killing all the animals. <laughs> Not nice, I know. Uh, you And to, to get the furs. And then you're having to forge even more eastwards to find the animals because obviously they're, they're disappearing into the east and you're having to forge onwards and onwards. And the only time you would get new furs into the game is if you claim those landscape tiles and then they all slide down and the one is added right in the far one yeah, with some new furs on it. So, yes... I get that if you want an engine building game where you're constantly you're getting stronger and stronger, this is not the game for you because you're having to you you're literally having to start again every round.
1: I don't know. I'm going to talk to you about some physical things. All right, yes. three physical points to make, mm-hmm. and then i am almost a metaphysical. Ooh, intriguing. Component issues, widely reported component issues. Did you? come across they are widely reported so i, I don't want you to deny them but apparently <laughs> issues with the board issues with icons not being clear cards being thin and some weird thing about people's components hadn't dried properly and they were moldy or smelly or something something about not drying out i don't know but in terms of the card and board quality iconography People weren't very happy with the components.
0: Card quality, absolutely agree. It's very poor. And I got the deluxe version of the game, so I paid a lot of money to, to get quite poor quality. And Game Brewer have actually addressed it to a degree. You have to join their next Kickstarter and they will send send you if you pay the postage. <laughs> so mm, I don't know if you've done a, a great job there, Game Brewer. But in terms of everything else, I thought the... I co- I thought the tiles were fine i thought i thought the components were all fine but then again as i, as, as I just stated i did get the deluxe version so maybe there's a, a slightly better of a component and i didn't have any problems with mold or anything like that
1: people are definitely moaning about getting paying deluxe and not getting deluxe
0: oh, really uh, oh, okay. the
1: rule book the rule book varying reports
0: I, again, you're talking to the wrong person because I learn most of my games from videos. I either go, obviously, Rodney does them, but there's a guy called Branislav Belich who does uh, Nithrania, and uh, he, he does all the type, these types of games, and I, I think he's brilliant. So just a little shout-out for him. I think the rulebook was okay. I, I did go through it after I'd watched the video, and I didn't have any issues, but uh, I, I can't swear to that. Great. <laughs> the
1: actions the order of actions and the order of the turn is on the board itself is that correct so the board actually leads you through the it turn. it is
0: but there is a very unintuitive bit to this because it took me ages to explain it to nat and what it is is, is is you're going to have as i said two or three turns so you get a basic action and you can use the basic actions also, with your basic actions, you can spend the most coveted fur, which is different every round, every game, to get a different set of basic actions, and you can do two of those basic actions as opposed to one. Then you can move on, and you can do another basic well, I'm action. I'm losing the world to I live. Know, I know, I know. Summarize this.
1: Just, just summarize. <laughs> this is, is what I'm saying. Quick, in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> uh, which is what Brandish Love is called it this game's in a nutshell. Anyway, um... Yeah, you can then go on and you can do a basic action, another basic action, or an advanced action. And then if you, okay, if you want to. Yeah.
1: Come on, wrap it up, wrap it up. it's okay. going on?
0: It's very hard to work out. Like, okay, do a basic action here, but there's another bit of a basic. And then I could do another basic, but I can do an advanced. And then if I play this, I can do another advanced. And it can be very confusing. And the, the iconography on the board doesn't help you with that at all.
1: It's not sounding deluxe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my metaphysical comment. I need you to possibly, if you can, shine a light for me because I've, I've come across something and I don't quite know what the person meant. But their comment, without a score and struggling off, is bounty, struggle,
0: regret. <laughs> uh, there's bounties to be had. It's a struggle to get it. And I suppose... You could regret if you don't forge out East enough on your last turn. There
1: you go. I feel like they're looking at the bodies of all those animals, and they're like, (laughs) I have to kill you to feed my family. You've given me so much money, but look, you poor little souls.
0: Rodan, I I did have to kill bears.
1: Okay, well, you're done with me. Give me your score and move on. (laughs) I'll find you (laughs) co-host.
0: Okay, so um, Stroganoff, I really liked it. I think the movement aspect really set it apart, and it felt thematic, forging East. I thought she thought the iconography was good and I loved the different paths of victory as i was already said. I've only played this game two players now and there's plenty of furs really if you if you're able to just move a bit further east. I think at three players it could be really hampered because at four players they add another fur. But at three players they don't. So I think at three players that battle for furs could make it really interesting or could break the game slightly. I'm going to review it because as I've seen it and I've gonna review it as a two player game and I'm gonna give it a score of seventy-five.
1: You're in happy land so far. I am today. I am t- I- an am and a seventy-five. Two very good games. Yes, indeed. Right. Let's smash through. I'm going for an expansion. It's an expansion for Isle of Cats. It's called Kittens and Beasts, Frankware City Games. You know, I love Isle of Cats. I'm going to go through this expansion quickly, lest you want to hear about it. What do you get in there? You get kittens. Kittens are available every single round. There are four of them. They're smaller tiles. They are only available to the person who is quickest. So has got the most boots in their collections and goes first in turn order. If they wish to, they can pay fish for kittens you can get up to two of them for five fish and then you can put them on your board and they're off the color and they count as separate members of the families they help you boost up the number of cats in your families and open up that scoring as well as giving a reward for having most boots second aspect to this expansion is beasts beasts are only available in the first round they're on the right hand side of the draft they cost five fish each and they're gone then after that. And what they do is they are quite large, so they cover quite a bit of your board, which obviously can be handy because the more of your board you have covered, the more points you score, and the less likely you are to get negative points. But also, they wish to be linked to certain colour families of cats. And if you can link them to certain colour color families of cats in certain squares, they've got little icons on them, you're going to score bonus points for doing that. So they give you a shape and a direction in which you wish to build out your cats. Third thing that kittens of beasts give you is events and events come out and they give you two ways to score and three things that are going to happen three ways to adapt the rules during the game and you can see what's coming up you lay all five out immediately so you can see what they're going to do for the game and they just give again give you a certain like they don't change the rules they just give you something extra to think about sean frank west is incredibly clever designer in how he works his games and works his systems and he's come up with three ways here and expansions can be all sorts of different things but this is one of a very clever few expansions i've found that add depth to a game while using exactly the same mechanisms and not adding
0: any time firstly i'm going to have to contact frank west and tell him that to be very careful he's at the same con as you because this is like the third or fourth time you've said he's a really clever guy. I think he's in line for a Ronan Cuddle. And i I think I need to tell him. I'm trying to control <laughs> Secondly, yeah. you, you are absolutely right. I've played two of them, I've played The Beasts and the Kittens with yourself and Rachel. And they're just enough to immediately grok what, how they work and how they how that you're gonna get the most out of them. But not overwhelm the game or not change the game in massive amounts and i think they're very very clever out of the box in a bag wherever you want to store them you can just write that that's added now and everyone's going to go oh cool yeah we know how to do that because it's very intuitive the kittens make one of the areas that i thought was slightly off about isle of cats i love it it's a great game i always felt going first was it that important yeah, if there was one colour of something, but often there really wasn't. It was always a nice selection. So now going first is quite important, and you can really boost your scoring with additional cats with those kittens. The monsters love the way that it just affects the first round, but it sets up another way that you're going to go in that game. Uh, for Ra- Rachel, really loved to get in the beasts. Sorry, not monsters. And she really played her game to maximise those beasts as part, as good as she could, and she was very successful at it. So, I think yeah, they're both very clever, very simple, brilliant additions to a brilliant game. Correct.
1: And something you mentioned there that I didn't was that you can add them or take them out without messing around. You don't mess around with the deck of cards. You're not searching through, going which of these tiles are part of this and are not they are kept separate in a bag they are placed separately and taken out separately so you can choose when to use them when not to use them which is just sort of a functionality thing that again it's been thought about the whole user experience has been thought about it's all i have to say about other cats kittens and beasts is the whole experience has been thought about and it refreshes a fantastic game and it's delightful
0: delightful
1: i'm not going to rate it because it is isle of cats it doesn't change it enough to rate
0: no it. i was thinking that just... i was thinking i was about to say yeah. is it would get the same score as isle of cats because it just because it's the same yeah. game
1: but slightly you know jiggy jiggy and hoobity hoobity
0: hoobity there we go
1: yeah exactly that stardew valley sure
0: stardew valley from concerned ape designed by eric baroni and cole medeiros It's based on the video game, Stardew Valley. And effectively, what you're going to do in the game is you are going to take on Grandpa's farm. Unfortunately, Grandpa's passed away. He's left you his farm in Stardew Valley, and he left you a a group of goals to achieve, to To save Stardew Valley from the evil Jojo Mart Corporation, who are moving in and trying to hoover up all the green land and turn it into horrible factories and what have you. And the the twist is, we used to work for Jojo Mart. There you go. So what are you going to do in, in the game to try and do this? So you're moving around. Effectively, you're going to different locations and you're just doing little mini games or little mini tasks to try and make friends. You're going to go and fish. You're going to go and mine to get lower down the mine and open geodes and things like that. On your way around the town... You can forage for, the, for goods that are going to help you to do things. And you're also going to farm. And ultimately, you're going to try and build buildings that are going to give you small boons and small ways of adding to everything. And it's a very loosey-goosey character direction that you start with. You start as maybe the forager. And you can, uh, with a certain tool that you start with. And you're going to adapt that tool, you're going to improve that tool. And it's going to make you better at whatever you decide you want to do in the game. That's kind of it. There's not a lot going on. If you do the four goals or three of the four goals or whatever the player count it changes with player count, uh, then you win the game on the easy on the easy game. There's also a, a set of sub tasks for the medium and hard game that you need to do a certain amount of those as well to win the game. And it's all about gathering hearts, gathering money, and doing whatever the tasks say. Yeah, <laughs> it feels. What I would imagine Stardew Valley feels like if if you'd ever play it, it's got that Animal Crossing feel to it, Ronan.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you, Sean, if you ever played Stardew Valley. You never mentioned it. I thought you hadn't, but I think that's quite an important factor in what people think about this game because it's quite highly rated on BGG. And I went in there and I read, as we do, the comments and looked at the ratings. There's an awful lot. Of 8, 9 and 10 ratings there that say, oh, I wish the rules were different. I wish the goals worked differently. I wish it was different this way and that way. But I
0: love the video game. Have a 9. I get that impression. I get that it is actually quite faithful to the video game from what I've read and the reviews that I've seen on before before I actually. I think this.
1: people should love the video game so much, they're just happy it exists. Yeah,
0: maybe, maybe. James has actually downloaded it on the Xbox after we played this, so he's gone the other way.
1: <laughs> well, it's done the job that way round. Component quality. This has been published by a video game publisher
0: mm. and
1: some concerns raised. Any thoughts on component quality?
0: Ah, they're shocking. A lot of the components are really flimsy and thin. Uh the cutting of the components so we've got you've got buildings and they're little squares and half of them are the wording as to how you actually get the building is half cut off and the coins are some of them are half coins some of them are just the corners cut off here so effectively run it's not the best quality but they have actually some nice touches in there in that they have this um tray that holds all of the stuff that you can farm, all of the things, the animal produce and some of the stuff that you can mine. And it, and I it can't, holds... Yeah,
1: you're not, you're not going to persuade me that a tray <laughs> is, is, is a basic component. <laughs> but it, it's
0: thoughtful. It's I... thoughtful because you, you, it stores everything in the box like that. So you just take the tray out and you're good to go. But yeah. I the...
1: really... they did so little difference to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but even the people in there, they're not people. They're little... Honestly, they're like Cluedo dobbers. Like, literally like a like a bishop in chess, like one of those things, but a tiny version. Okay. Okay. Luck versus length. Right, so we've very quickly realized that to play the full game is way too long for what it is. It's just doing the same things over and over and over and over again. where they start off fun and you're having a nice time, they do become, oh, not again. I have to go to the mine again. Oh, I have to go fishing again. So we definitely would be playing the shorter game in future. James would have us play an even longer one if he could get, get us to do it. But no, we're playing the shorter one in future.
1: Two issues with the goals came up again and again. Firstly, not enough goals, therefore not enough variety in what you do in the game. But also the goals being wildly varied in difficulty and some being very hard and just some being
0: incredibly easy. Yeah, I've got that written down as well. So goals, goals are just not balanced at all you've got yeah exactly what you said i'm not even gonna bother
1: very good that's all i had for stardew valley i i took me five minutes to look at it to go not for me is it for you
0: (laughs) not for me but it is for my family it's uh very immersive very thematic and everything in it is very it's all about happy and it's all about spreading love and it's all about doing nice things and and you do have little moments in the game where you find a legendary fish or you've managed to go down a level on the on the thing and you fulfill a goal and you fulfill it for everybody and everyone goes, "Well done, hey." But as a gamer, it's not for me. It's just too repetitive, too long for what it is. And I'm not a fan of the the original source material. So for me, Stardew Valley is a 45. That's I like it. (laughs) Right. My last
1: game of this episode is a little card game called Festival of a Thousand Cats. For Three to four players takes 30 minutes to play. Designed by Fukutaru from the now defunct Tasty Minstrel Games. I heard about it on one of our fellow board game podcasts. I forgot to write down which one it was. I think it's so wrong about games, but it could have been a different one so very wrong about games those anyway what it is is there are four seasons the cards it's a card game they come in four seasons they're numbered one to 13 which each season have its own mix of those numbers and these containers as as being in a season and a number they have icons of fish or milk bottles or birds on them no matter how many people are playing with there are two cards in the middle and you cannot play the same season as either of the cards in the middle and you're going to choose a card from your hand and you can put it face down everyone is if you're playing with three players a dummy player does this randomly in fact no you see the dummy players card when you're playing three players that's from me remembering and then you get to choose with four players it's actually more random than three which is a bit weird but anyway and then you flip it over whoever's played the lowest number takes the lowest card from the middle and scores it whoever's played the highest number takes the highest card from the middle and scores it and then the two middle cards just score themselves Because there's only two cards. And then the highest and lowest that are played this turn become the cards you're playing for next turn. And you carry on going through until you've played all your cards or until someone has collected three milk. Three milk, you say, Sean. I do say three milk because when you collect the cards, if you take back a card, you score a card with a milk token on it, you take a milk. They're good if you have one, they're good if you have two, and they're bad if you had three because you don't score any points for your milk. And you half your points for fish, Points for fish, I hear you say, Sean. Yes, because you score points for your fish and they're all good. You don't score points for birds. They're bad. But the birds, if they're played at the same time as either of the two extreme cards, which is a 0 and the 13, which are guaranteed to win the hand, will swap with them. So you're trying to time whether someone's about to use one of the special cards when you play a bird. Otherwise, you get the bird back and it's going to cause you negative points.
0: Bad birds. On
1: top of that... in dirty bird on top of in the advanced game you get to choose a scoring card which is going to make one of the four seasons a negative points for you and one of the four seasons double points for you that's cool i've got a horrible feeling there's supposed to be four sets in there because they're numbered and they're also colored but i've only got three sets of them so I don't know what happened there, but I think you're supposed to have a set each that you choose from as opposed to the random ones we have to play with. Now, why would I have concerns about whether I've got the right cards or not? Well, Tasty Minstrel have been known to be very sloppy. And I'm going to start off something, Sean, that everyone needs to be aware of if you do play or buy a Festival of a 1000 Cats. And that is that the rulebook is entirely, completely, fundamentally, incredibly wrong about probably the fundamental rule of the game. And if you play it, as we did, according to the rule book, this game is like a 2 out of 10. Because it's completely and utterly random. And it tells you that when you play a card, the effect on it is what triggers. As opposed to when you win a card, meaning that whatever card you get dealt at the beginning of a round is what's going to happen to you and you have no agency. Now... Anyone can make a response, uh, a mistake in a rule book. It's the response from Tasty Minstrel that will really it will get your goat, Sean.
0: Go on, go on.
1: People pointed out this is a mistranslation from the Japanese, and the fact is, when you take a card, and that makes a lot more sense, and that actually gives you agency. And their official response was, "Play either way; it doesn't really make any difference."
0: (laughs) Good old Tasty Minstrel. Why did they go out of business?
1: You know and I feel bad for it. I read that, I played it the proper way, and I almost felt like, Gee, you kind of deserved it. <laughs> you and I felt bad for feeling it. But, no, that is not the response. We're really sorry. The designer, like you made him look like a mug. <laughs> like, this is not the game he designed. And it's an incredibly worse game than the game he designed. And you're just like, huh? Never mind, hey, we just completely ruined the game for most people who are going to play it who aren't going to bother to go on BGG and dig into a thread. Because it's not there anywhere. It doesn't say rules error, version two of the rules. Everyone be aware. It's like you've got to dig in and you can find it in a thread that someone said, is this right? And other people have gone, no, it's not.
0: Oh, that's not good, is it? So that makes a lot of sense because a lot of the reviews, not reviews, the comments that I saw were like, no uh, arbitrary, totally arbitrary no control little staying power so i was probably reading comments for a completely different game exactly
1: they've utterly utterly hamstrung this game and i only bought it because it got positive reviews from or from their podcast and i was like oh there's something to it and i saw it in a bookstop it was a big store and i went oh i'll grab that and have a look at it and like i say after that first game i was just baffled i was like hey how are they praising this this is rubbish. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't fathom it, which is why I bothered to went on BGG. Because, you know, whether I agree with them or not in all their reviews, they make sense. And I go, okay, that makes sense, that makes sense. Blah, blah, blah. They can't have just like, this is no way, there's no way, come on. And that's the only reason I found out the rule rules. Okay, in terms of the game itself, firstly, and I will very ever rarely say this, the artwork is ridiculously cute. Ridiculously his little pudgy wouldgy cats. I don't even like cats that much. Pudgy wouldgy cats in clothes doing things,
0: looking pudgy Would You say that. He says this. Oh, I hate cats. I hate cats. Then when he goes home to his cats, oh, hello.
1: They're not my cats. They're Rachel's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just keep telling yourself that. They're no dogs. They're no, And they're not bears. Bear killer. <laughs> the art, I think, creates an expectation, which should create an expectation of a fun, funny game in which you're kind of throwing down and you are thinking oh yeah i want that one i don't want that one and i might get in i might not and that's what you have it's one of those games in which you are making a decision but there is some luck with it as well it kind of reminds me a bit of six nymph but with a little bit more to it and it's oh, i wonder how bad do you want that mm. and within itself for that with the cute gameplay and the quick game time the unfortunate thing is, is that the actual explanation for it and the explanation of scoring, for some reason, appears to be really difficult for people to grok. Because every group I've taught hasn't quite got it, and we've had to play a bit, and they've gone, oh, I get what's going on." Now either I can't teach this game, which is a possibility, or it's slightly just too, slightly too convoluted for the quick throwdown nature of it.
0: Yeah, which obviously that is going to pose a problem because these games are supposed to be exactly what you said and I think if it does have and we've had this problem with other games where you sort of taught me again I've, I've not really grokked it straight away and it's put me off like even looking into that game and playing it further so were you able to get everyone to play it that sort of two three four times so that they they felt that they understood it half the time right
1: and half the time I couldn't so half the, I don't, I couldn't tell you and in fact in the same group some people were like oh yeah I'll play it again I want to try and get it and other people were like I'm not playing that again it's just not I'm not getting it and it's too and the thing with it is there's kind of a dislocation between it's a bit thinky you are thinking ahead you are planning what's in your hand you are thinking I don't want to keep these cards and I'm trying to time when I can play them to get rid of them because more, most you'll go half the cards probably you're going to have to take back on your scoring pile and there's ones you just want to get rid of especially when you start waiting the score in So you're thinking a bit, but ultimately it's quite lucky what you do get because you can't tell what everyone else has got. So there's a slight dislocation between input and output. And I think that's what sort of puts people a little bit off with it. At the end of the day, for Festival of the Thousand Cats... I actually prefer three-player to four-player, which is weird, because it's got a dummy player three-player, but the dummy player actually removes a bit of that randomness. You can think a bit more about it. And I've been backwards and forwards, and if I'm reviewing the game as it is in the box, like I said, it's like a 20. Mm. The way it is, I enjoy it, but it's a little bit of a pain to teach, and it's not always a hit with everyone. I'm still... I'm going to give it a 56 which I think is a bit mean but I think I've been burned by poor first experience and having to teach it a load of times and it not going over that well because I think there's fun to be had there and in I think lighter game groups who are willing to spend like time with a 20-minute, 30-minute card game and play it again and again and again. I think there's a lot to get out of it. You can start second-guessing each other. There's almost a little bit of love letter. Oh, you've done that, so I've got this, and you want that, so I want that. Almost oh, like a little bit, but that's too high praise. Oh, Fest for a thousand cats. Oh, it's, it's, it's bothering. I'm going to be bothered. I'm going to think about this. I'm going to wake up tonight. Like, I should have given it 56. <laughs> and I don't know whether it should be lower or higher, but it, it, that's, there you go. Try yeah. it. I'm going to say try it. Try a Festival of the Thousand Cats. Make your own mind up. It's weird.
0: Oh, lovely. Right. So, Ronan, what next?
1: What next, Sean? What next, Ronan? What next? What, what next? What next? Sean, what next?
0: Oh, Ronan, what next?
1: Yeah, yeah, Sean, what next? <laughs> I like, think we can't
0: do this. <laughs> we could go on for ages. Uh, okay, so, what next is the name of the game from Big Potato Games, designed by Ed Naljokas. And really simply, it's the lightest by far of my games. It's a pick-your-own-or-choose-your-own-path-adventure game with dexterity challenges thrown in. That's it! Essentially, it adds a physical element to your choices and an extra dimension as to what you go for when when you make those choices. So some of the challenges that we faced when we played this game, I stood up, dropped a card, a single card. James had to catch it in one hand. There's a little cardboard tile or that you flick a little puck along and you have to make the puck stop on a certain part of the of the tile and you get a better result there's there's loads of different things and the scoring itself and how the timer of the game is you're building almost like a jenga thing but from start from scratch but it's all jagged rock pieces and they stand on their sides and they're not that thick and you have to build this up and when that falls that's you've lost the game And if you manage to complete the game before that topples over, you've won the game. That's pretty much it, Ronan.
1: Big Potato look at gaming from a slant and angle that I would never look at gaming from. And they come up with ideas that sometimes I think, that's quite a funny idea. (laughs) I'm not sure how it's going to play. And sometimes they put it off and sometimes they don't. But I love that they're this creative with gaming. And they're always trying to create new, funny social experiences. So I'm a fan of the company without necessarily always loving their games and this almost gimmick of what next is all going to come down to obviously the implementation of it and there's two parts of that implementation there's the two parts of the game it's the stories and then it's the dexterity so i read in lots of comments that the story of the adventure itself was a bit weak
0: it's not great they tried to throw in a bit of humor in there like there's killer koalas in one of them and you you
1: kind of why well, they're just called drop bears they have a name
0: drop bears in my bad <laughs> and they've they've kidnapped a professor and that's you've got to go and rescue her and yeah they, they're very basic storylines but i think they're supposed to be the choices are supposed to be quite obvious in that i oh, this is going to be the better one so if you you want to go down the better path, then you're going to have to do something difficult to do that. And I think that's where it comes in. You, when you cross is in a rickety bridge, you don't just oh, across a rickety bridge and I roll a roll and die. You actually have to do something physical to get across that bridge in, in one piece or without falling and having to go around a different route. Except on a very basic level, I think it actually it works. I think it makes for a really good party game.
1: The difficulty for the challenges is- Does it make sense with the situation you've put yourself in story-wise and are they consistent or how, how was the actual physical activity of playing this game?
0: A little bit hit and miss in terms of making sense of what the challenges were. So I think the rickety bridge that I mentioned, that was a case of flicking the puck along, which didn't make that much sense. But certainly the catching something, there was something thrown out of a tree and we had to catch it and that was the drop in the card element and various other things that you have to do some of them make sense some of them go yeah yeah i can see why we have to do that and why we have to it's the same sort of thing that you would have to do like catching something it's just a bit of fun and it's over so quickly like you can play through a whole mission in half an hour 40 minutes and have a little bit of fun round the table definitely aimed at the family market for sure but yeah it's it's a choose your own adventure with a physical side to it so You'll, you'll know immediately if you're going to like it. And I just thought of myself, Nat, and James, and I just thought, we'll, we'll like that. And we did. And it's flown under the radar massively. I hadn't even heard of it until I went to Aircon.
1: I hadn't heard of it either. And I love the idea. I hope it's implemented well. I'm hanging on your score.
0: My score is going to be 60. So it's it's a good game. Don't get me wrong. It's not, gonna, it's not burning any bridges. <laughs> but it's...
1: Well, it hasn't offended anyone. No, yeah, yeah, no, no. Sorry, yeah.
0: that's the wrong, completely wrong analogy. Um, it's not tearing up any mountains or ripping down any whatever. You know what I mean.
1: Uh, it's not diverting any rivers.
0: <laughs> that's the one. Whatever, whatever. But it, it's there's no
1: good... canals that are going to loop the loop.
0: They might do, but it's a is good... it
1: draining any lakes <laughs> <It's... laughs>
0: Any more? reversing waterfalls
1: i like that one i like i'm writing that one down right
0: down yeah i think it's it's a good decent game and it does exactly what it says on the tin what next nothing ronan nothing we are done sean thank you thank you ronan and thank you everybody for for listening and as ever we are proud members of the dice tower network go there and to the dice tower itself for gaming goodness galore if you wish to contact us, our email address is thegamepitpodcast at We are, as ever, on our Board Game Geek Guild, where you can come and have a conversation with us there. If you wish to track us down on social media, we do have an Instagram page. We do have a Facebook page, but we are most present on our Twitter feed, which is at GamePitPodcast. And thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time on The Game Pit. Music by
1: Choo Choo Boy. (laughs)
0: Reverse waterfall boy.